Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. The Bible is God's story. It doesn't record everything, uh, but it is sufficient to lead us to a proper understanding of certain questions. Um, First of all, who God is. And young people, you'll realize throughout life, you'll start to begin to ask that question. Not only who God is, but how did we get on this earth? How did you arrive? Um, And that's the question of origin. Secondly, how things got so bad. This morning we talked about Ukraine and the war and the children having to be displaced with their families. And um, how did things get so bad? Something's not right in the world. And that is the question of morality or the question of evil. Uh, Secondly, why are we here? That's the question of purpose. Is there something you need to do about the evil in the world? How can you respond to that? What hope is there? And finally, where do we go after we die? And that is the question of destiny. So look at Genesis 1, verse 1. This is how the Bible begins. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So God existed before anything. And we often think of the heavens as eternal. But God created the heavens as well. He created things we can't see, like angels. Beautiful spirits that worship and serve God. And when God began to create, and I want you to note this, He just spoke. With a word, He created things. Matter of fact, in Genesis 1, you can track it, and maybe a good exercise later would be to circle every time it says, and God said, for instance, let there be light. God said, let the earth sprout vegetation. Are we going to have the slides or are we running into a complication? There we go. Okay, he didn't specifically say, let there be baobab trees, though these are baobab trees uh, in Madagascar. But he said, let the earth sprout vegetation. It says that God created two great lights. One light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. I love what Psalm 19.1 says. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. When you look up into the sky and you see all the stars or you, or you look at pictures of planets like Jupiter or Saturn or the size of our sun, which is a star compared to the earth, that declares something to you, even as a child. It says there's a great God who is your Creator. God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. Do you know there's 33,600 different species of fish? Then you also have the great white sharks and intelligent killer whales. God created those with a word. He just spoke it. He also said, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. They say there's between 10,000 and 15,000 different species of birds. The hummingbird. East Africa's beautiful lilac-breasted roller, the unattractive marabou stork. Have you ever seen a marabou stork? Very tall, usually near dumps. And they'll, they'll actually charge you if they're unhappy. It's not a beautiful creation, but it is an amazing creation. Um, let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse, but not penguins, right? Penguins don't fly. Though I looked above yesterday and I saw a penguin flying over my head. Doesn't it look like he's flying? Some birds aren't created to fly, but these are also God's magnificent creatures. 
God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures. And most of you children here have a favorite creature or two. Do you have a favorite stuffed animal? I saw a unicorn being thrown around like a bird this morning during music practice. There's a big stuffed unicorn here today. I had a favorite stuffed animal. It was a koala bear. Not big like Costco big, but it was big. It was about that big. Do you remember the little little animals? You could pinch their back and their arms would open up and you close it and they would grasp onto something. It was like that, but bigger and cute. And I tried to find the one that I've lost. And uh, my koala bear had these sharp claws. And nasty rumor has it, I used to scratch my older, two older sisters with the claws. And I'm certain that that's the fabrication of the truth. But anyway, one night my dad took my koala bear and he got the scissors out and we had a declawing party. And everybody else was so happy and delighted. And I sat there with tears in my eyes because my dad had this way of giving stuffed animals voices like he did to our pets, like he, he captures their thoughts. And, of course, Mr. Koala was not happy that he was getting his claws trimmed. Why why do we love animals? We love God's creation. It's an amazing creation. We get sad when we see a squirrel dead on the side of the road. Right? God created all of these. Psalm 33, 6 says this. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. By a word. He simply spoke it. And by the breath of his mouth... All their hosts. Can you imagine that kind of power? And let there be zebra. And let there be giraffe. And let there be fill in the blank. When God created everything, he said, this is good. Matter of fact, he says that several times in the account in Genesis chapter 1. He spoke things into existence out of nothing. And you know, even scientists who reject a belief in God are now saying that at some point, something had to come from nothing. And God's been saying that for thousands of years to humanity. Humanity, the pinnacle, the the, the top of God's creation. He created man and woman in His image. That made them different and special and unique, different from the animals. Genesis 1.27 says this, So God created man in His own image. You image God in a way that a koala bear can't. In a way that your favorite animal can't. There's something about you that specifically images God. In the image of God, He created Him. Male and female, He created them. Of course, you know the story moves from creation to the creation of mankind. And and God didn't just speak man and woman into existence. How did He create them? It's actually a picture of him entering into it very personally with his hands and he forms them. Rather than just speaking, there's a very close personal connection when he created Adam and Eve. He put them in a garden where they, where they dwelled with him closely. I always imagine this garden to be a tropical rainforest with all kinds of birds singing and amazing animals. And God put them in the garden to rule over it, to have dominion. That's part of how they image Him. They're going to look over this. They're going to care for it. They're going to protect it. He told them to take care of the garden and enjoy everything. Genesis 2.9 says this, and this is the first mention of the tree of life. Out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant. Remember, Eden means garden of paradise. 
to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden. I don't know how big the garden was, but there was a single river that came out and went out into four. Basically, it was supposed to the Garden of Eden was supposed to be replicated and produced throughout the entire globe. And the river, the single source moves out for that creation and that rule over the globe. And right in the middle, you have the tree of life. It says it was in the midst of the garden. But guess what else was there? We heard that in our story this morning. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Two trees at the center of the garden. See, God is God and humans are created. And God gave humanity access to enjoy everything except one single tree. The fruit of... Can you imagine? Life would be so easy, right? If all you had to do is obey one command. Just stay away from that tree. And we think it would be easy. Only one rule to obey but there's something else going on in humanity's heart. God said in Genesis 2, 16 to 17, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Do you think Adam and Eve understood death? They'd never seen death before, right? They'd never eaten a hamburger. That's foreign to some of you. Because hamburger comes from non-living beef. There's no death. Not a single dead rabbit run over by a vehicle that hadn't been designed yet. Not even fish bones. It's perhaps they minimized it, but there's something bigger going on. And that is man and woman no longer wanted to submit to God's rule. It's not the fruit that was bad. This is what is bad. Adam and Eve took the authority to do what was good in their own eyes. If you ever read through the book of Judges, the very last book of the book of Judges, which is a very dark book, a time when judges, not kings, rose up and spoke for God and acted for God. The very last verse describes that difficult time. And it says that everybody did what was right in their own eyes, not just Adam and Eve, but everyone else. That brings us to sin and separation. You remember the angels that God created, beings you cannot see, marvelous beings. Well, one of the angels rebelled. His name was Lucifer, and we're not given a full detailed account, but we are given glimpses into the story of what Satan wanted to be. His name was Lucifer, and he wanted to be worshipped as the one true God. But there's only one true God. You'll see that in Luke ten eighteen that Jesus telling the disciples, don't marvel that the demons submit to you. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Part of the puzzle is pieced together through Satan's desire in his confrontation with Jesus in the wilderness. He wanted Jesus, the son of God, to worship him. Matthew 4, 8 says this, the devil, which means slanderer, Another name for Lucifer or Satan. The devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. You see, the father had promised to the son the kingdoms of the world. The way he would receive those kingdoms is through death. And he said to him, all these I will give you. So somehow Satan has power over these kingdoms. All of these I will give you if you will fall down. And worship me. That's what Satan has wanted all along. 
Then Jesus said to him, listen to what Jesus says. All he does is he quotes a verse out of Deuteronomy. Be gone, Satan, for it is written. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Well, Satan appears in the garden. He's never called by name. He's called the serpent, one of God's creations. And he starts to interact and dialogue with Eve. And he says this, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Satan knew that's not what God said. They could eat from every tree, but one tree. The serpent told her, listen to this blatant lie. You won't die, but will instead become like God. And for the first time, young people, Eve started to doubt whether God could be trusted and whether he was good or not. The woman listened to the serpent instead of God, and she ate the fruit. And the man ate the fruit because he listened to his wife instead of to God. And in that, both of them sinned. Listen to what the Bible says about sin. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Sin is breaking God's law, even if there's just one law in the garden Connected to that idea is 1 John 3, 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Have you ever wondered why your parents never had to sit you down and teach you how to be angry? How many of you young people have never been angry? I was hoping not to see any hands. Did you ever need somebody to sit down and say, okay, this is how you lie to get out of trouble. Did you ever need somebody to teach you that? No, why? Because there's what's called the principle of sin already in your heart when you were born. King David said this, in sin, my mother conceived me. There's something of Adam's sin in your heart, but there is also sin that you have chosen to do. Okay, so that's what we're working against. And that is why things are not well in this earth. But there's a promise in Genesis 3, verses 14 to 15 There's a promise. And the Lord God is actually going to speak to his creation. He's going to speak to the serpent. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. And here's the promise. He shall bruise your head. There's going to be a human champion that arrives that's going to crush the serpent's head it's this beautiful picture of some event off into the future a wounded champion victor will destroy the serpent itself well as time passed the earth was filled with people and everyone did what was right in their own eyes god gave to his people commandments or laws you're probably familiar with the ten commandments but that is just sort of an overview of the entire law And they would break the laws and God would allow for them to offer sacrifices. And as they offered sacrifices and blood would be spilt, God would allow them to ask forgiveness for their sin because there was a sacrifice. Something died in their place. But that cycle just was endless. They kept sinning and kept sacrificing animals. And then they would enjoy restoration with God and then they would sin again. And all of a sudden, you're waiting for that cycle to be broken. As a matter of fact, this is a longer passage, but I want you to read it with me as it's on the screen. The old system under the law, that's what we're talking about. 
An example of that is the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not steal. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing. That's what our hearts need. That's what we desire. But it couldn't provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped. For the worshipers would have been purified once for all time and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The law, like a schoolmaster or an instructor or a teacher, points us to something that we need. And what we need is something or someone that can take away sin forever and bring us to the new heavens and the new earth. So how did God do that? And quickly, here it goes. There was a godly man named John, and when he saw Jesus, God's Son, who is now in human form, when he saw Jesus, listen to what he says, connected to sort of those Old Testament sacrifices. Behold, this is an interesting title to say to someone, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. A direct reference to a sacrificial offering. Matter of fact, Jesus said this in John fourteen six. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So there is now a way to the Father. There is a perfect sacrifice. Really quick about Jesus. This is what we learned from his life. And the four Gospels record this. Um, on one occasion, 5,000 people were out in the wilderness and they were hungry and there was no place for them to get food and the disciples had no ideas. And what Jesus did is he multiplied five loaves and two fish and he fed 5,000 people with 12 baskets remaining. The story is not about a boy sharing his lunch. It's not about that you need to share just like the boy did. The story is that God can provide life. He's the bread of life even in wilderness conditions. There was a time, there was a storm at sea. He's asleep. His disciples are afraid. They accuse Jesus of not caring. And Jesus stands up. And what does he do? Do you remember the story? What does he do? Is he afraid? He's not afraid. What does he do? What did he do when he created the world? He, he spoke. What does he do now to the storm? He stands up in the face of the storm and he says, peace be still. And the winds and the waves stopped. Jesus' power is greater than his creation. There's another time when he arrived at the other side of that sea, there was a violent man, a dangerous man who had many demons inside of him. Remember those evil spirits that were cast out along with Satan? Well, they took up residence within this man and he was dangerous. And what Jesus did is he went to him and he cast those demons out. And what he's telling you is that his power is greater than the spirit world that he created. And remember, Satan is a created being. On another day after that, one of his close friends became sick and died. And four days later, he stood at the tomb of his friend and he said, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus came out. And the, the point is, Jesus' power is greater than what? Than death itself. That's the enemy he came to destroy. That's what God said would happen to Adam and Eve and all of humanity if they ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Jesus said this, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, 
it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit like a tree with branches and life. Well, how would Jesus do that? Jesus willingly allowed himself to be arrested, condemned, and crucified. And at first, the cross looks like a tree of death. But listen to what Galatians says. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. One of our children read about that curse. And there's a promise within that. Christ redeemed us. He he bought us back from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Romans 6.23. If you know that with me, young people, say it with me. For the wages of sin is good one to start with in our memory program. For the wages of sin is death. Death for sinners. But Jesus was sinless. Matter of fact, 1 John 3, 5 says this. You know that He appeared in order to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. So why did Jesus die if He was sinless? Well, He died in your place and for your sin. It also says in 1 John 3, 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So here is what Jesus' death on a tree provides. He provides pardon to guilty sinners like you and me, and he destroys the works of the devil that led to death. Both of those are accomplished. John 19 says this, so they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him. There he died as a curse in your place for your sin. But that's not all the story. Because three days later he rose from the dead, conquering the last enemy, which is death. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15, 20-22. Christ has been raised from the dead. For as by a man came death, By a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam, I've told you this, as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Death is swallowed up in victory. So how do you get that life? How do you gain access to eternal life? Jesus said this in John 5.24, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Is that it? Just believing? He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And some of you are still wondering, is it that simple? Is it really that kind of a gift? Paul says this in Romans 10, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You know this verse. For this is how God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. One of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis, he said this, If we find ourselves with the desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. God God isn't just interested in forgiving you of your sin, which He does by a gift of grace. He is bringing you to another place 
that can't be bombed or can't be taken away from you. A place where there is no more death or pain anymore. Revelation 22 says this, Through the middle of the street of the city, this is the new heaven and the new earth and the new city. On either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. You know how you get to that place? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Two more verses. Revelation 21.1 I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Young person, have you believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you called out with your tongue, believing in Him that He is risen from the dead? If so... God has saved you. It's a gift. Matter of fact, Jesus said this. We opened up our service this morning with this. Jesus says, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So don't believe that you can't come to Jesus. If you've never prayed that prayer, talk to your mom or your dad or talk to someone after this service. For with a heart, a person believes and God forgives them. Of their sin. I'm going to invite our worship team forward this, right now, and we are going to sing, Jesus died my soul to save. And while they're getting in place to lead us, um, this sermon again is for adults as well. Remember, we are not accepted by a theological understanding or religious titles or church attendance. We receive the kingdom like little children with no status and nothing to offer. By grace you are saved through faith, not by yourselves, not of works, lest anyone should boast. By grace alone. Let's pray.